Uh, we're going to kick off the show shortly. We've got Raul Paul joining us in a bit. Um, Juan, how are you, sir? I keep hey, Mario. Juan, hey, Juan, how are you, Juan? I'm doing great, um, thank you. Uh, look, you're, you're one of the few voices of reason. Like, you remind me of Gareth, Gareth Soloway, one of our regular speakers. Um, we've got Raul here. Uh, Raul, you're not late. You did, it, was, it was impressive. I thought we'll have like a few minutes to kind of wall up the stage, but you're here early. Um, one, I, before we kick it off, to kick off discussion with Raul Powell, um, wanted to get like the ETF numbers from your end, one, because they, we've just broken new records again, um, which is just insanity now. And yeah. I want to also applaud you and everyone at Bitwise for coming on the space pretty much daily since prior to the ETF launch, updating the audience. So, so well done, guys. Really grateful for that. But uh, maybe a quick uh, an update on the numbers one, uh, and, and we figure out the glitch with Raul Pal. He's just dropped, so we'll bring him back up. Yeah, well, thank you for, for always welcoming us uh, from Bitwise. We, we love participating. Um, yeah, it's as you said, it's, it's insanity. Uh, yesterday was another record-breaking day. Uh, with 12x more demands for Bitcoin than what the network produced. Uh, Bitcoin ETFs breaking their daily record with 673 million of inflows. Uh, total inflows since launch uh, are now at over $7, $7 billion. Uh, derivatives are also booming with Deribit, seeing total notional options uh, open entrance hit all-time highs of $26 billion. Um, and then we have other developments outside of that. Uh, as we've been talking about, this is uh, the initial wave of demand, but as more national account platforms, wirehouses uh, go through their approval process, um, then we'll get more allocations. And the latest news on that is Morgan Stanley announcing that they're looking to approve Bitcoin ETFs for its brokerage platform. That's massive. And that's one of many that are that are looking at that. Uh, we're talking to many of the largest platforms uh, for onboarding them. Um, and even outside of that, the other thing uh, I was realizing today is that uh, every American in with money in the in the U.S. stock market is going to have an allocation soon, and that's whether it's through uh, their money managers allocating to the ETFs uh, or through something like uh, Coinbase or or uh, MicroStrategy being added to the S and P 500. Uh, and at that point, everyone will will have an allocation. That's 58 percent of Americans, or more than 190 million people, that will end up with allocations to Bitcoin. Yeah, I appreciate crazy. that update. I appreciate it, one, and, and it is craziness. I, I remember um, yesterday we did the the morning space, and then we did the crypto town hall, and then I was gonna finally take my daily break and clean my messages, and then Kyle messages Mario, Bitcoin's at sixty two k. I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. Now sixty one k. So Kyle should I say for Master Ventures. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Uh, I start messaging my team and then 62K, I go, we were doing a space on security and crypto and I, I jump in with my with my account to kind of talk, change the title and talk about the markets. Um, and I think I called it like, what the fuck is going on? And then <laughs> as I'm changing the title, it goes up to 63K and a 64K and then just plummets down to 59. So uh, it's just been insane uh, since yesterday. And obviously the ETF inflow is playing a big role in this. Uh, Mr. Paul, how are you, sir? Oh, very good, my friend. How are you? Good, good. It's it's nice to speak to you again under different circumstances. The last time we had you on stage, it was a bloodbath and telling everyone to be patient and it's early. Um, I think now it's, the, it's a very different environment, uh, but the narrative is is the same. We're still early, and um, I would love to get your thoughts on on the speed in which the market has uh, not only recovered but getting close to all time highs. Yeah, I mean, look, I base my whole analysis of this space on both the adoption effects over time, 
which has been growing massively. There's 516 million uh, active wallets now in the space. And that's been growing even in the bear market. It grew at 42%. So the space is still growing, but obviously price goes up and down. And that's driven by liquidity. So that's a macro factor that drives that. And liquidity bottomed in 2022. And I started getting bullish from that moment. And last year was a lot of year of disbelief for most people. But I just stuck with the framework of liquidity is rising. Um, this is a forward-looking asset. So it's in advance of the business cycle. And we were in crypto spring last year. And we're now at that moment where we're transitioning towards crypto summer when things kind of go bananas. I call it the banana zone. And we start to see that sort of price action. Obviously, last year was was very good. But already, you know, Bitcoin is up. 50% as is ETH this year. And this is just the start. I mean, if you remember, the crypto cycles tend to be year one, which was last year, tends to be a good year. It's the best performing asset in the world. Year two tends to be ridiculous. So that's the kind of 200 to 500% rises in the major assets, sometimes more. Um, and then you've got year three, which tends to be the crypto fall, um, or autumn and that period, you tend to see, again, further price rises. Some of them are blow-off finishes. Others, like the last cycle, tend to be shorter and stunted. But overall, it just compounds the growth of the space. So we're now in the best point of the cycle. This is the bit where you don't fuck it up. You just hold on to what you've got. Don't overtrade. Don't use leverage. Don't get caught out in the FOMO. And just be patient. Do you think something we were discussing in the last show yesterday is that we're already at the price discovery stage. So Ryan, who just got on stage, Ryan, you said once we close, once we, I think it was you or Dave, you said that once we break all time highs, we'll be at price discovery. Um, no, Dave is the one that said, no, anything above 60K is price discovery because we haven't spent much time at those levels. And I've got some numbers here. We spent um, between 60 and 62K, we spent 21 days, less than a month, 62 to 64K, 10 days. 64K to 66K, which we broke yesterday, broke 64K yesterday, or barely broke 64K, I think. Seven days a week. And if you add 66 to 68, two days. So above 64K, we spent nine days. Above 62K, where we are today, we spent 19 days. So is it fair to say, based on the volatility and based on the on the on the on the on how close we are to all-time highs and the small number of days we've spent in those ranges, are we at price discovery now? Well, I think you saw it by yesterday's Coinbase breaking. You know, they said that they got their system to deal with 10x increase in volumes, and it was above that. So it feels like, you know, people have been saying, where's retail? It feels like that started happening yesterday because of the factors that you talk about. I mean, what's really going on is this ETF has created this reflexive cycle where all of these big firms, Bitwise, um, Fidelity, um, BlackRock, pre-fill order books. They pre-filled the order books for a successful launch of the ETF. That drives Bitcoin higher, even though people have been front-running that anyway. It drives Bitcoin higher. That brings in the RAAs who look at it and say, oh my God, Bitcoin's going up, so they buy more. That makes the number go up. That brings in the RAAs again because, oh, my God, I need to do this. And you end up with this reflexive loop that can go on for a while. And the next phase of that is obviously the ETH ETF. So there'll be two games that the RAAs can play in this kind of reflexive cycle. And we haven't had this before. So, yes, we've had the reflexive cycle of, of retail. But now we've got we're unlocking the $8 trillion 
RAA market in the United States. It's a whole different game. And it's a, it's a, uh, we got one here from Bitwise, it, one we've talked about this at length. And, and one point you guys have made a Bitwise with your research paper that we've all referenced is that we're still very early. Like, Raul, you touched on retail finally entering the market yesterday. And I agree with you because we had, I think it was Dave again. Dave did a lot of coverage with us yesterday on this. But Dave, you said that institutional clients, you and Travis were talking that they didn't have any issues on Coinbase. So Coinbase itself didn't break. It's the front end, the retail front end, the website that broke, which shows that it was retail. And I think someone also said that QCoin and one other exchange, I think, I can't remember what it was, Gate maybe or, or BitGet uh, it broke as well. Exchanges. A few exchanges were actually down last night. KuCoin was down, I think, a little bit as well. A few of the exchanges. And I think, Mario, for anyone who's been here for more than one cycle, that we actually celebrate when exchange go, exchanges go down because we know that's the, the, that's the, the bull market signal. Retail is finally entering. Exactly. So I think yesterday, and I'll give you a draw, like yesterday is the day that, in my opinion, and I kind of make it, made a joke in yesterday's space, um, saying, you know, retail, welcome back. Because I think that's what started. But prior to this, to get to the level, like we're almost at all-time highs, Raul, and it was led by institutions. It was led by the ETFs, which according to one and, and their research paper, they're still in the very early stages, despite the records being broken and having another record-breaking day in terms of volumes. So Raul, and I'll go to one, I see his hand up, but Raul, what's next? Like, what, what type of numbers could we expect to hit? That could we hit all-time highs prior to the halving? And then what happens next? Um. Yes, look, I think we are going to. I mean, the halving normally, sometimes it's hit all-time highs before the halving, sometimes afterwards. So, you know, it's not something that's uh, written in stone and it's driven by the macro cycle and then we've got this this new uh, inflow. So I don't see any reason for it to stop for the time being. I mean, we're seeing the same thing. Now, there are some month-end effects as people are adding it into their portfolios for month-end. So we have to get used to how these kind of asset allocators do allocate assets. It's somewhat different than retail who tend to be, you know, they'll trade on the weekend, they'll trade in the middle of the night. Uh, these guys tend to be driven by month ends. So here we are in month ends. So we've seen this huge run up. And again, don't confuse this with institutions. It's not actually a lot of institutions playing this. It's the investment advisors in the United States for their customers. Um, the institutions themselves have not been that active yet. We will see more of that over time, but really you have to be a brave portfolio manager to add this to your portfolio because you need to get investment committee approval, all sorts of stuff. I mean, some of them who are brave will just try and lie to their risk committee and just say, well, I've just bought an ETF. It's just an equity. Um, but you know, it's actually quite difficult to do. So it is, it is retail, but the retail of the equity market, which is a whole different crowd. And one, maybe you can give us a bit of an update on the appetite when it comes to uh, to the advisors and um, how do you compare the interest now to what you expected from your your research paper prior to the ETF's launch? And are we starting to see some sort, I know it's very early, but could we start seeing um, advisors start to form a win like the rest of the retail market? Yeah, no, what, what Rawl says is exactly right. It's right now still the... RIAs, the advisors that are allocating, it's not even the institutional investors yet. Before we launched, before the ETFs launched uh, in our last survey that was done in November, only 11% of advisors said they were allocating to client accounts, 11%. And now that number is going up, but I can't imagine we're even at 20% yet. Even if we are, there's so much more ahead of us. 
And just and and to your point or to your question about how we're how we're seeing the interest pick up this cycle, right? This since the ETFs launched uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's the first time that we're getting unsolicited. Um, uh, unsolicited solicitations for uh, the approval of our ETF on on national platforms. Normally, how it's always been is we have our people from uh, national accounts distribution go out and solicit meetings, solicit uh, talk talk to the uh, uh, the investment committees, the the uh, compliance departments in order to get approval. Now we're getting unsolicited requests uh, to get approvals for for the for our ETF and, and the others as well. So it's it's really changed. The game has changed uh, completely. And Raul, the, the next question I have for you is: What are your expectations when it comes to the ETF? We've had conflicting um, uh, conflicting opinions on stage over the last few days and weeks as we're covering this. Is that going to be the next narrative? Is that going to lead to an ETH and an L two narrative? Um, yeah, I think that's to me that seems to be the case. It seems that you know the people I speak to. Um, think that the ETH ETF will get approved. Um, and those are the people who are putting the applications in. So um, now whether it gets delayed or not, let's assume it will do. But at some point that comes in. Um, and that means that firstly, the kind of fast money, the traders will start front running that once they start to assess probabilities. And we're starting to see ETH outperforming now. Um, that should continue as we get more clarity um, around the dates you know, May, I think, is the first date. Now, it'll get delayed, but if it gets delayed and not rejected and we're hearing the right talk from within the SEC, um, then I think we'll just see more and more money piling into it. And that will just push up, obviously, the price of ETH until we get the ETF. And, you know, ETH will just have a different narrative to Bitcoin. You know, one feels like a tech platform, the other feels like you know, pristine collateral. They're two different things. So I think they will both gain traction over time. I mean, obviously, the ETH futures uh, ETF didn't really work, but I think people are just waiting for this one to come as well. And then that means people can hold two different two different assets in their portfolio. I think we'll just see more and more people coming into the space. And overall, as people understand the breadth and depth of this space, it'll spill into the altcoin market overall, whether that's the layer twos, the other layer ones, or some of the application layers like Bpin, stuff like that. I think it just brings people in. You know, I think of this whole ETF really as a Trojan horse. It, you know, the SEC might think it's great that they've got it within their kind of remit. But I think of it as, you know, we've got this now huge path to bring people into crypto land. So this is more like a free trade deal we've set up between fiat world and crypto land. And now the normies, as you'd like to say, can flow through their money into this space. And over time, they'll end up setting up wallets or opening a Coinbase account because they want access to the broader space. So overall, it's going to bring more and more liquidity into the space. So I'll be asking you more about, um, uh, you're kind of rotating into altcoins, talking about Solana and the rest of the ecosystem. But before that, um, is there any, is it possible to play devil's advocate? Is there any possibility that we we don't even reach all-time highs this year, even though we're about to close, you know, Bitcoin Icarf put out a tweet that ran you covered on your show, is that we will have, we're about to close the biggest dollar gain on a monthly candle in history. Um, and it's about 20K for this month. Um, so it just kind of gives you an idea of the size uh, of, of the of the spike over the last few weeks relative to others. I think 20K for this time around, the second largest one was back in 
2020, September 2021 at 17.5K, early 2020, 2021 at 13.5K, and late 2020 at 12K. It's comparing now to 20K. But, Raul, is there any possibility that we don't reach all-time highs and, and what could cause uh, a reversal? Um, no, I don't think that is the case. Uh, you know, I think generally there's nothing that sets this apart from any of the other cycles. Yes, we've got this different source of demand. There's no real reason to see the liquidity cycle, the macro cycle changing anytime soon. Our forward-looking indicators suggest that this goes on well into 2025. So 2024 feels like it's a bit of a shoe-in uh, in terms of direction. Now, how I think about it, I'm a probabilistic person. So I would say 60% chance this is a kind of regular crypto cycle. There's a 20% chance that this is left translated or a front-loaded cycle, which means that the demand peters out uh, in 2024 and we're kind of done early, but it could still be, you know, a decent size uh, rise, you know, multiples of the all-time high. Um, that would might catch people off guards if people expect 2025 to continue. The other, the flip side of that, I give an equal weighting so that this ends up being kind of a full bubble cycle, much more like 2017 um, and in which case it goes on longer into the end of 2025 and a price is much higher than people expect now. I think people are quite cautious because of what happened in the last cycle, where it seemed that we were going to have the accelerated end of the cycle and it topped out. Uh, and I think that caught people off guard. It certainly caught me off guard. Uh, not that I was going to trade around the, it or change my por portfolio, but I expected a further leg higher. We didn't get it. You know, remember the laser eye movement of it's going to go to 100,000, never got there. Um, so there's the 20% chance of it happening all a bit too soon and maybe the macro change in 2025. But again, my forward-looking stuff doesn't suggest that. There is the chance of a, of a bigger bubble as the AI narrative fits with the crypto narrative, fits with, let's say, something happens in the banking system, there's liquidity coming or China has to try and bail out their economy. That brings more liquidity in. But really, let's just assume it's going to be a normal cycle, in which case sometime in the second half of 2025 at prices like three to five times above the all-time high, um, it stops. Okay, so, so my question was, before moving to the rest of the market um, and talking about you know other layer ones, talking about different narratives and, and obviously NFTs, you're still rocking your crypto punk. So, so I'd like to see that. Um, the question is, any targets that you have for Bitcoin and ETH if you had to speculate for this year and, and uh, for, for the next all-time high before the next correction? Um, no, I've learned it's no, there's no value in doing that. <laughs> because people, people, you know, if you're right, you never get any praise for it. If you're wrong, people just go, you said it was going there. You said it was going there like, you know, we've got a crystal ball. So I tend not to do that. Um, you know, the range is, you know, who knows? If it's a short stunted cycle, it goes to 150. If it's a complete banana cycle, it goes to 500,000. So that's a very wide range. And, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get in the game of trying to predict the exact level because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. I think ranges is a much better way of predicting it. Um, so the next question I have for you is before getting into NFTs and going full DGEN, is any specific narratives that interest you? So I've talked, I've been talking about gaming for way too long. And I think me and you talked about gaming last time you were here. Um, we, we've also had to talk about AI, even though it's an area that I'm not as deep as gaming, not as deep as, as I am in gaming. 
Um, we had Portal. We did the launch space for Portal earlier, which we're investors in. We did Pixels a few weeks ago. Both of them launched on Binance and, and, and had a, a great launch. Um, would love to get your thoughts on, on first Web3 gaming. We had Yatsu early on as well on our show. And um, any other narratives that are, that are interesting to you? So my view on this cycle is over $60 billion went into VC in the last cycle. Now, some of those won't survive, as we know, and some of them are building incredible products, including some of these new layer ones that are unlocking uh, abilities that didn't exist with the existing technology. So I think the probability is here that this is an everything, everywhere, all at once cycle. I think we will see the further growth of Deepin. I think we'll see some huge gaming breakthroughs. That cycle takes long, so that's probably not until 2025 before we really see something there. I think we'll see different applications for NFTs. I think we will see um, supply chain use. You know, I only found out the other day, you know, I was at a meeting in Switzerland speaking to one of the world's largest commodity trading firms. And um, the the girl I'm speaking to, she was a she's an agricultural commodity trader, physical stuff. And, you know, again, for one of the largest firms in the world, I'm like, what are you guys doing with blockchain? She said, oh, we've been using it since 2021. All of the massive agricultural commodity houses use blockchain for letters of credit. They lose uh, blockchain for all of the transactions, and it's been much more efficient. What's incredible is nobody's ever mentioned this to me before. So we don't even know half of the stuff happening. So that's part of this real world assets side that um, I'm also seeing a lot of. I, you know, I sit actually on the um, SUI Foundation, which is one of the new big uh, layer ones. And you get to see, you know, where the space is going. And, you know, I can see that it's it's across the board everywhere uh, from, yeah, real world assets to new use cases for NFTs to, uh, you know, faster, cheaper technology that will unlock stuff um, like the ability to have um, exchanges on chain. Um, I think we'll see Obviously, the rise of CBDCs, that will happen in this cycle as well. Uh, we don't know what chain that's going to be built on. Um, so there's there's a lot. There's a lot all going to happen. And it's going to be like this AI whiplash that we get. Well, it's going to be hard to follow. I mean, the other one is, I mean, I feel stupid. I completely, I completely mid-curved it. I saw WorldCoin. Uh, they were in Cayman recently. And uh, I interviewed them at a panel. And this is before WorldCoin took off. And I was talking to them. I said, listen, I think you launched really badly with the idea of the orb and stuff. And they said, yeah, but it sticks in people's mind. I said, what's this project really about? And they said, well, really, it's about digital ID. It's like Sam Altman saw that what was going to happen with um, AI and knew that we had to prove we were humans. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't you give that as the narrative? Because it's so perfect. Sam Altman develops the digital ID. Now, the market started to catch on to that. Digital ID is a big deal. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot in the past. You know, We're going to go through this election and we have no understanding of how AI is going to affect all of this and people are going to lose their minds and we're going to have to prove who we are. Now, if we don't, and I don't think we'll get there in time, my view is that the tech companies are going to get prosecuted, whether it's X, whether it's Google, whether it's Meta, are going to get prosecuted for all of the false information that's driven by AI. And they're going to be forced, A, they'll be fined, like the banks were fined after 2008, and they'll be used as a cash machine for the treasury. But also, um, I think they're going to be forced to adopt a standard. 
Now, if there's going to be a standard, maybe it's WorldCoin. I don't own any because I completely mid-curved it. I should have just realized the answer. So in answer, the long-winded answer to your question, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I'll throw that down. Um, I'm going to go through the audience questions. Anyone that has questions for Raul, you can put them in the bottom right corner in that, in that purple bubble. Um, you, you talk, I'm going to go through some of the narratives you've talked about here. Um, but I'm going to start with gaming, which is one I'm very bullish on. Uh, you said gaming takes longer than than um, than others. Obviously, games take years to develop. Everyone expected gaming to blow up in the last market. Uh, we invested heavily in 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 game assets, in game NFTs, which obviously did not materialize, and they still haven't materialized. Um, but I'm still bullish on in game uh, in game assets. Uh, we're invested in a whole bunch of games, so I'm very bullish on the ecosystem. So, can you tell us a bit more? How long do you think that will take for gaming, for Web three gaming, to really start getting traction? Why do you think it won't be till next year, even though it started gaining traction with Axie Infinity and Play to Earn in the last bull market? And maybe kind of link it to the metaverse and the open metaverse, which I know you've talked a lot about. Um, from what I understand, I'm not real expert on gaming. But seeing and talking to people, there are some mega games being built. Um, and these mega games built off existing IP franchises, they just take time to build, as you said. So, you know, does something come out later this year? It's possible. But really, I think we'll see the full force of game by 2025. If not, they're going to miss this cycle. Um, so I think they are definitely going to... Um, materialize and i think it's going to be kind of shocking to people how advanced these games are you know the, the long gone are the days of sandbox and decentraland and now we're going to be living in this kind of much more immersive space um also you know don't discount yuga and what they're up to as well so i think other side uh, will also become something that people will start to understand as well so i think again we'll see it from many many places um, and from big leading franchises, because they're seeing different ways of creating value by using Web3 as opposed to existing gaming technology. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a big driver, because once people realize that the assets have value within games, then the games builders themselves can see different revenue streams. So that itself drives a loop of more people developing games on blockchain technology, uh, which will be Again, it'll take three years for the game to come through. So that would be the following cycle where, you know, a larger amount of gaming, I think, goes onto blockchain. Yeah, and I expected gaming to lead this bull run, uh, but obviously AI kind of took the limelight. And we're going to talk about AI in a bit, but there's a lot of comments here. Uh, let me ask the team to give us the handle. Handles, please. Handles, please. So whatever someone comments in the bottom right corner, I'll read out your handle as well. Um, but uh, everyone's asking about Sui. Seems we've got a lot of Sui fans in the audience. And I can link it to, so the two questions I have here, what are your thoughts? So, Raul, what are your thoughts on Sui? It is a leading blockchain with potential in this market, in this bull market. Why did you get into Sui? And where do you see it go next? And so I kind of, you can talk about Sui, but maybe link it to the broader L1 versus L2 battle, especially with the Ethereum upgrade coming in and, and the, the massive um, you know, success of Solana uh, post FTX. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So again, I have to be careful here because I sit on the foundation. So um, I'm not doing this to shill it. Um, and people say, well, you're just shilling stuff you're involved in. I, I went on the journey of layer one because I wanted to understand how that whole process worked. And this is an incredibly credible group of people who have proven experience. So I'm not shilling here, Sui, um, because I'm in a position of being on the foundation it's a very interesting technology. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of what 
um, the Facebook team at the time had built with DM, the quality of what they built. Um, and then the, the, the team split into two, which was the Aptos team using the same move language. And then the SUI team, SUI seems to have some breakthrough technologies in terms of, you know, both speed, cheapness, efficiency of the chain. But in addition, you know, the object-based language allows them to do different things. And we'll see. It's for them to prove out to the market what they can do. I mean, they've got a large TVL now, but, you know, TVL is just a small part of the story. Um, you know, really what happens is narratives catch on very quickly, but but things that survive are the things that build real projects on top of. You know, that's why Solana survived the last bear market. And, you know, we would see how these technologies are used because we've seen other great technologies that have just failed to get that traction too. So the, there's no guarantee. So it really is about you know the business development teams. Do they get the right projects? Do they cover this everything, everywhere, all at once strategy? Do they find that they get breakthroughs? Can they exhibit new ways of doing things that, you, for example, you might not be able to do on a on Ethereum or even an ETH layer two? Um, and then you've got, you know, how do the other kind of layer ones dovetail into this? You know, how does it work with things like Celestia? Um, you know, who's going to get what share of what pie? It's 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 all to play for. You know, Avalanche looks like, you know, they're playing very heavily in the gaming space as well. Um, so we don't really know. It's early days to know how well they do. But, you know, I'm... I'm very interested in what Sui are doing. The quality of the people is extraordinary and how they think through the spaces is very good. Yeah, we've had, and I'm sure many of the others are the same. Yeah, we've had the founder of Sui, uh, Evan, come on the space a few times. It's been very, uh, very approachable, great guy. Um, I don't know if we've had the Aptos team on stage uh, previously, but um, I'm going to read more. This is great questions in the audience. So well done, uh, everyone in the audience. You've got better questions than I. Uh, the next one here is something I've asked previously, and you already touched on it, Raul, but for anyone that missed it, um, a lot of people are speculating that because of how quickly the cycles is, you know, we, we, you know, we, we didn't have a pre, pre-halving correction, um, and the bull market started earlier and was a lot more aggressive than everyone expected. So a lot of people are speculating that this cycle will be shorter than previous cycles, and we could see a peak um, end of this year instead of running late into 2025. Now, I think you did hint earlier that, no, you, you should repeat um, the same cycles as previous cycles. And the reason we kind of broke the the pattern of a pre-having dump is the ETFs, which is the inflows from the ETFs. Um, would like to get your thoughts on the length of this cycle versus others. Um. If it's a weird world, if everybody expects it to be a short cycle, you might end up with a correction towards the uh, end of this year and then a face ripping rally that everybody misses out on. If everybody thinks it's going to be a long cycle, it tends to be short. You know, this you don't get it that way. So how, how I'm thinking this through is, listen, we don't know. So the best thing is, let's assume that 2024 is a good year. The best thing for most people to do is take some off the table in 2024, take some lifestyle chips off. And then if it does fall from that, you've protected yourself. If it does rip higher, you're going to do fine. And if it's a normal cycle, I mean, you'll do spectacular. And if it's a normal cycle, you'll do well. So it's kind of a win-win-win in that kind of environment. So again, it's part of this don't fuck it up and don't lose your mind in the middle of this. Because who knows what the end of the year looks like and 
what people are calling for because you're already seeing you know some people saying oh my god there's not going to be ever a cycle ever again because of this money that's not true because all assets have cycles um but you can see that people are, are starting to over extrapolate but again there's most people i would say expect a shorter cycle and are less bullish than they would have been if we didn't have the kind of stunted cycle in 20 uh, in in 2021 so let let's see. My guess is, it sometime in twenty twenty five, late twenty five. Yeah, the, the, I, look, I, I'm horrible at trading. I'm horrible at making predictions. Um, you know, we just invest VC type investment, invest and just wait a few years. Um, but whenever people ask me about the markets, my answer is just so dumb but so basic. It's like, hey, everything just it, 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 first history repeats itself. Second, if everyone's saying something, it just becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So if, if that narrative of a self of a of a shorter cycle really gains traction, maybe it's not meant to be a, a, a shorter cycle, but we made it a shorter cycle because we kept thinking it will be a shorter cycle. So that could end up materializing. Could be as simple as that. Um, but then, how big of an impact do you think ETFs will have on this cycle as well? Because the other side of the argument is that because of the ETF inflows that will continue well into next year, we could see a longer cycle as well. Um, do you expect the inflows to continue hitting record highs as one and others have said uh, on stage earlier? Um, I do, as long as the macro backdrop remains benign. And again, my everything code forward-looking analysis suggests that we'll have nothing but the upside of the business cycle. As long as something doesn't change, the forward-looking liquidity indicators into 2025 look very positive. I don't see any reason for there not to be continued buying um, on all fronts, whether it's via the uh, traditional uh, crypto exchanges or whether it's via the ETFs. But if something happens and people start to feel concerned about the future of of not so much the economy, but the amount of money that they have to spend and invest. You know, we saw inflation last time ate into people's pocketbooks, plus the tightening of liquidity by all of the central banks. If something like that happens again, well, then you'll see um, people not being able to put as much money into the ETFs. Now, the other thing that could affect the ETF flows is whether they start going into people's 401ks. If they do, then you get that kind of passive flow effect that we've seen in the NASDAQ and the S&P, where you know, every two weeks, a fraction of people's paychecks just go straight into those. And that creates a less volatile downside because there's always a structural buyer to the market uh, and less structural sellers. So it's going to be very interesting to see, and maybe Juan knows this, is whether this is driven by those kind of 401k flows, or is it just driven by more speculative RAA flows. Uh, that's going to make a real difference. If it's structural flows uh, of people of long-term savings, um, I think the volatility of this whole Bitcoin market may change and it'll become less volatile. Juan, have you got any thoughts on that? What kind of flows we're, we're seeing, whether it's going into pensions or not? Yeah, right now, it's not much of the flows are going into pensions. We do from conversations uh, we're, we're having and our expectations as well, is that those are kind of really large institutional players will onboard, but that'll be uh, a little further down the line. I'm actually uh, I, thinking more of the self-directed 401k stuff as opposed to the pension plans themselves. Oh, I see. Yeah, we're seeing some of those flows. Uh, we're, we've seen some platforms uh, onboard, um, and, and so we're starting to see some of those flows. It's still more what you said, the more speculative, speculative uh, early adopter RIAs uh, that, that that we're seeing right now. 
uh, and more of the RIA crowds that are really the ones uh, having the conversations right now to approve. But we are starting to see some of those uh, self-directed uh, 401k flows uh, come in as well, start to come in. Yeah, makes sense. And first, I'll just give a shout out to Larry Wildman in the comments for asking the cycle question. Um, we've got another two good questions I'm going to ask. I know you don't have much much longer, while, so I'll try to sneak in those questions before asking mine. Um, in terms of retail interest, so you talk about institutional interest. So there's a, what metrics could we look for to go to, to gauge uh, retail interest? We talked about the ranking of the Coinbase app, which was at 390, I think, two days ago, became like. 270 yesterday. I don't know what it is today. So just shot up 100, uh, 100 points. And uh, just kind of for anyone that wasn't in yesterday's space, the Coinbase app was number one on the App Store three weeks before the, uh, before the end of the first bull market and three weeks before the end of the second bull market. Other people like to look at Google Trends, which I think is, is just not a great indicator. Um, we had someone on stage give us some social indicators, like the, the mentions of Bitcoin and, and other terms on various social media platforms, which are still at very, very low levels. Um, what indicators do you look for other than Coinbase crashing while to gauge retail interest? Well, yeah. See, Coinbase going to the number one of the app store is difficult because Coinbase got downloaded. You know, Coinbase has 110 million accounts. So, you know, yes, there's about 10, 12 million active accounts right now. Um, so for them to do the same again, you know, you're covering two thirds of the population in the United mm. States. So it's unlikely to be at the top of the app store uh, unless their global push uh, becomes more successful, you know, and, but there, a lot of that will be, you know, are they getting market share against Binance? So I think it's, you know, one of the good things is if you look at the, um, the Coinbase quarterly statements, they talk about how many active accounts they have and looking at that number grow, you know, if it's at 10 million now, I haven't checked the, the latest number, but let's assume it's around 10 million. If that 10 million is at 60 million, okay, then you're starting to say, okay, there's a lot of active accounts there. So we can see that. Um, and I think the Google Trends, underlying volumes, you know, I think you just have to look at a combination uh, of all of these things. Social media listening, I think, is another strategy as well. Um, where the Bitcoin ETF lands in terms of volumes versus others, I think will be another tell. Um, obviously, it's huge right now and you know, is only being beaten by a few. Let's see if that continues. And if it ends up being, you know, the largest, most actively traded ETF in the world for a significant period of time, that's going to tell you something that uh, that there is an excess amount of activity in the space. Yeah, and, and just for the audience, we were talking about it earlier. The numbers are just insane. We have volume at $7.5 billion yesterday, uh, which is, I think, two and a half times the last record. So we just broke the record again. Um, IBIT is at $612 million. So just in, insane numbers that we see here. The total inflows. Let me see if I have the number. Do you have what's the, what's yesterday's inflows one? Yeah, yesterday's flows were six hundred seventy six hundred seventy three million net inflows, um, which was the largest day on record. Beat beat the day one uh, flows, which were the biggest. What what, what were the numbers in day one? Six hundred fifty five. Oh wow. That's crazy. When, why, why do you think that was? Do you think there's month end effects like RIA is putting it into portfolio allocations? You know, they want to get it in for month end because it just felt like it was very month endy. There's no particular reason apart from price, obviously. I don't know if you've got any insight into that. 
Yeah, I, it seems to be a combination of the the price reflexivity that you were talking about. Uh, more more uh, of these uh, RIAs onboarding now we're you know uh, seven seven or so weeks in, uh, so there's more awareness because um, as as you probably know, Raul, um, most of these RIAs still uh, they they're unaware of, of of crypto. 2022, most of last year when we were talking to to RIAs, they still thought even as Bitcoin was was uh, was gaining 40, 50, 60. It gained 157 percent last year. And even through the end of the year, people were still thinking we were in the FTX days uh, because crypto, as much as for us that work in it is, is all we think about. It's still a very small part of the economy and, and still very small part uh, and not widely uh, allocated to. So uh, it's people becoming aware. Um, it is, uh, I think, month end uh, reallocations in model portfolios that are now uh, embedding uh, the the ETFs now that they've launched and, and they're aware. So I think it's 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 this traction and awareness that uh, is is now uh, gaining on that. Yeah, and and Raul, I've got one more question, and we'll leave it with like a final word for the audience, uh, kind of words of wisdom. But uh, my question is about yesterday. What, what the hell happened? I, I expected volatility to 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 ease up, obviously, with institutions coming in and with retail still lagging. But yesterday's price action. Are we going to see volatility continue despite institutional involvement, despite the ETFs? Because I expected it to ease up. Again, it's not institutions. It's just retail using RAA channels. So that's okay, financial yeah. advisors. Um, so, again, if we go back to that Coinbase number, it's a staggering number. People need to get their heads around it. 110 million accounts, of which 10 million are active. So you're going to reactivate something like another 30 or 40 million people into this space um, over time. And so with how retail tend to trade, it tends to create volatility as opposed to dampen it. So I do think it remains a vo it will remain a very volatile space. You'll have these massive air pockets where the thing drops, you know, 35% in a matter of two days, and then suddenly it's up 100% in a week. You know, we've seen banana stuff before. You know, we saw, I think it was Doge did 10x in a week. And that was its second cycle. So we're not prepared for the madness that, that comes. You know, we kind of think, oh, yeah, that yesterday was a mad day. We haven't seen anything yet. The complete lunacy of this space is something to behold and enormous amounts of fun if you've got the stomach for it and you can accept that the volatility is there and, uh, you know, it's part of that whole thesis I've got is just don't use leverage. You just don't need it in a space that moves as much as it does. And the worst thing is, let's say you think you're being really conservative and you have a three times levered bet on Bitcoin. And Bitcoin many times can correct 30% in two days and you're knocked out of your entire position. I mean, that, that's the end of the world. That is how to fuck this up. Um, and I know I, I use this a lot, but it, it's really crucial because I, I desperately want to help people in this space how to navigate this because people really don't understand it. There's a lot of TradFi people don't understand the volatility of this space. Um, they don't understand that this is not cyclical. It's a secular trend that it goes up over time. So you can just set it and forget it. And even if you have an 85% drawdown, if you've got the right high quality assets, you'll make money over time. In fact, you'll make tremendous amounts of money over time. And I've you know, been in this space since 2012, and I've had many of these big drawdowns. Um, and I've learned that those are the opportunity to add into them. The other thing that's going to happen in this space um, that I'm trying to warn everybody, and I can see it happening already, is FOMO. 
Yeah. Your friend, the bloke on Twitter, somebody else has got the 100x token that you didn't get, the airdrop you didn't get. They've got the points that you didn't get, and you you want to do it. And before you know it, your 80 or 90% allocation to the high-quality assets starts drifting lower as you start chipping away and using that money to try and find the next coin. Now, if you think about how Twitter works, let's say your Twitter feed has 300 people who are active in crypto that you, that you kind of follow. Each one of those may get one of these things. So somebody, one person you'll see get 100x in one thing, another person gets a 10x in another, another person gets a 10x in another thing. To you and your timeline, it looks like everybody is making all the money and you're not. What's actually happening is they're getting one bet right, several bets wrong, and your timeline makes it look like everybody's winning and you're the loser. And that gets you into FOMO. And before you know it, you're doing all the dumb shit you shouldn't be doing. You've got a wallet full of it's a wallet of shame full of shrapnel at the end of it of stuff you should never have owned. And we've all done it. I mean, I've done it. Um, and it's so easy to do. I just think, oh, you know, here's the next narrative, the next narrative. Let's jump on that. Before you know it, you know, you've lost out when you could have just done better owning Bitcoin, Solana or ETH. Uh, on that point, well, um, I had one more question if we could sneak it in. And that's a question I've seen in the comments Go a couple on, of times. Go for it, yeah. Uh, the rotation into alts. So this is a Bitcoin-led rally. Obviously, Bitcoin ecosystem is killing it. ETFs are helping bringing the inflows into Bitcoin. Uh, could we see the same rotation? Could it take longer? Um, or could we not see the same rotation we've seen in previous cycles? So we've got two rotations to come that are all going to be fun and games. The altcoin rotation starts when ETH starts outperforming Bitcoin. I think that is in play now. Um, and I think that narrative will drive uh, longer. That is also um, actually driven by the business cycle and where we are. Crypto summer is when alts start outperforming. And that's when the ISM survey, the Institute of Supply Managers survey, starts pointing higher. Uh, global liquidity starts going positive. That's when alts start outperforming, which is why we're starting to see the signs of that now. That is going to get bananas. You know, thing, dog coins, mean coins will rip people's faces. I mean, they're just going to be extraordinary. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do, and it's not really a bet for me, although in my DGEN bag, I've got a few of them here and there. But I think that's what we see. So that cycle is starting. It's just warming up. Uh, all of this year should be that. Um, then the other cycle is the NFT cycle. The NFT cycle is also driven by roughly the same factors. NFTs, think of them as assets in crypto land. Assets like in the traditional economy tend to lag the markets. Markets are forward-looking. Assets tend to reflect current price action. If you go back and look at um, um, when NFTs really take off, it takes off once the markets start making all-time highs, particularly Ethereum. So once Ethereum starts making all-time highs, that's when you start to get to the silly season of NFTs. We're starting to see NFTs basing now. Um, High-quality art is based um, CryptoPunks have started rallying. They're probably a leader of the space. Um, and we will see more and more um, activity as people recycle gains of out of token world into NFT world. Um, and then that really accelerates in 2025 once you're at new all-time highs and people are you know, either flexing with, um, with high-value NFTs or they're recycling savings into longer-term savings assets much as art is used or 
real estate is used in the traditional economy. This is what we've got in the crypto economy. That's our long-term kind of savings asset. So first alt season, basing of the NFT season, uh, NFTs, alt season starts accelerating, then NFTs come, and then and then it usually finishes off with the main um, contenders in the layer one, layer two space uh, in 2025. I think it's a great place to end it. I've brought up, I've asked my team to come up with it. My CryptoPunk, which I still have, and we're using it for my other accounts. So I've put it by your side, Raul, and both CryptoPunks. An ode to the punks, which I think reached a floor of uh, $200, uh, whatever ETH that is. Uh, 58 ETH floor, so we're above $200 for CryptoPunks. Um, but it, you know, it's a great chat, Raul. I had so many more questions, but we'll leave it for another time. Always a pleasure to have you. And, um, you know, hopefully in the audience, if you've got further questions, I highly recommend one thing I've kept listening to throughout the bull market and the bear market is Real Vision. So I don't consume a lot of media. It's probably a handful of shows that I listen to. Obviously, Scott's show next to me and Ryan, I genuinely listen to them and reference them. And yours, Raul's, and one of the others, and, and Yatsu. It's probably four of the top, uh, you know, top 10 um, shows and people that I listen to in the space. Yeah, really appreciate it. Look, Real Vision, go to realvision.com. It's free. Just sign up with your email. There's incredible content. There's AI to help you navigate the space. Uh, there's written research, and there's ways of connecting with all of the tens of thousands of Real Vision members across the world. You'll see, you know, there's people in 121 countries. You know, I'll be in Dubai at some point. So, Mario, hopefully, we'll um, we'll get together then. Um, but I'll be in, in Dubai and then we'll have Real Vision meetups. I've just done a Real Vision meetup in Switzerland. So go to realvision.com. It's free. It'll change your life. I mean, I know that sounds hubristic, but literally the quality of the content, who's been there. I mean, Scott's obviously been on there. You know, everybody from Bitwise has been on there. I mean, everybody from the space is on there. So, you know, and there's a fantastic interview with people on there. If you're interested in NFTs, it's one of the funniest, most outrageous and most thought-provoking interviews of all time. Yeah, I've, so, just, I've, I've just pinned it above anyone wants to hear that interview. And again, this is not paid and, and I'm just a paying customer, but I'm just giving it a shout out because I've just been listening to it for so long now. Um, Raul, again, appreciate pleasure it. to have you. Thanks a lot. And uh, Juan, thanks a lot for filling in as well. Appreciate it, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone.